Look, you can cut her head off, but don't slap her in the face after. That'll be three months in jail. I'm Joe Fulgham. 30 days, half September, Thermidor, and all the other months. I'm Torin Atkinson. For Jean-Paul Marat, the French Revolution was a bloodbath. Literally. Je suis Kevin Leeson, et c'est Caustic Soda. Robespierre, Robespierre, he's got French Revolution hair. Did he kill lots of guys? Catches uh, political opponents just like flies. <laughs> hey there, here comes the Robespierre. Robespierre. Uh, so part four in our Evil Dudes in History series. For people who are not aware, Robespierre was a major political figure during the French Revolution. When was that? The French Revolution began in um, seventeen ninety-two. No, seventeen eighty-nine. I believe. And who was so revolting? <clears throat> well, there was the uh, that whole you know uh, King and Marie Antoinette uh, okay. let them eat cake thing, and uh, they'd been arguing for you know a, a Republican uh, republic, a representative government to work alongside the the, the royalty and. Yeah, there was a there was a, a pretty strong movement towards democratization of. Well, he sounds like a wonderful person wanting freedom and democracy. Yeah, well, and you got seventeen seventy six, the American Revolution, which uh, everybody recognizes was a major catalyst towards um, uh, prompting the French to sort of take the the, the necessary steps to right. to. Uh, to rise up in armed conflict and and like the the Russian Revolution, you know, uh, like 130 years later, there were a lot of different factions within the revolution itself right. that made for, you know, a, some a, a definitely a pulling one way philosophically and pulling another way philosophically, and whoever was sort of in charge at that moment kind of dictated policy and all the rest of that stuff, and so. Robespierre had the distinction of being the leader of a faction called the Montagnards, which stands for the Mountain or the Mountaineers, because their seats in the parliament were actually high up. On a mountain. Yeah, they were like, so everybody had to look up at them when they were speaking. That is a big parliament. Yeah, well, you know, I mean... uh, Was it above the snow line? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they got a little bit dizzy up there. I mean, maybe well, there was a severe lack of oxygen up there and actually got them to do what they eventually did. I C'est mean, très froid. So, and to go slightly back, instead of, like, organized parties per se, because a whole parliamentary system was still very rudimentary at this point in time in human history, right? And so they'd actually had these social clubs that eventually kind of uh, either lent their support to or became sort of political affiliations. And guys would belong to different clubs based on sort of who they ran with and what their beliefs were and all the rest of that stuff. And Robespierre was an early uh, big mover and shaker at the Jacobin Club. Jacobin, J A C O B I N. Okay, yeah, they were. So then they the that Jacobins, like a dirty club. Yeah, and, and the Jacobins end up becoming part of the Montagnards, and there were a bunch of other, uh, you know, uh, mini clubs that formed that kind of faction within government, right, within the ruling structure. So of course, uh, you know, when we uh, we all know 
the the big picture stuff about the French Revolution, where they like rose do up we, and they do we know deposed. That? <laughs> well, okay, let's 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 sum it up. Let's okay. uh, you know there was a royal ruling family who ended up being deposed and imprisoned, and uh, you know you took over. A, there was a representative government, you know, some sort of representation, sure. whether or not they were like chosen by local lords or whatever. You know, I'm not going to get into the whole like geopolitical okay. angle of it, but there there was you know a, a couple of years of of civil war between royalists and uh, republicans and all the rest of that stuff. But by the time uh, Robespierre really came to prominence, all that stuff was sort of ironed out. Okay, that they were now starting to worry about uh, the Austrians were, you know, they had a ruling royal family and they were threatening. To invade France to put the king and queen back on the throne. Oh, mm. so this is the sort of thing that prompted the the revolutionaries to actually propose that they execute the king, so that you know if you kill them, you there's no danger of putting them back on the throne. <laughs> right. Well, right? you could put them back on the throne. <laughs> It would just get really gross really quickly as he would decompose there, and They're, then nobody would want the throne. Yeah, it's yeah. true. It's hey, true. do you want to be king? Oh, I got to sit on that dead guy. No. <laughs> Yeah, so the Republic was finally formed in the, September of 1792, mm-hmm. and the king, Louis the Sixteenth, was actually executed That's in September. That's XVI. XVI was executed in 1793. This is, this is basically, this is the era of Robespierre. Okay. He really kind of comes to prominence in September 1792 when they start forming all the different arms of government, and he's one of the major players in, uh, uh, in the Republic. And he he actually becomes the chair of the Committee for Public Safety. Okay. Which, in 1984 fashion, sounds really good and benevolent. Right. This is, people are still doing focus on the family. Yeah, uh, that's true. You yeah. know. Yeah, Things exactly. Like uh, America first. America first. Right, you know, uh. You know, uh, the Good Time Sunshine Club, I'm sure they're terrible people. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What is the Committee for Public Safety? Well, the Committee for Public Safety actually became responsible for deciding who was and wasn't an enemy of the state. Okay. Uh, And so the public safety was, was protecting the republic from anybody who would want to overthrow it. Okay. And so they would basically, somebody would be ne- be denounced, mm-hmm. right? And they would come before to answer the denouncement. And then uh, they would uh, be declared out of an enemy of state or they wouldn't. And if they wouldn't, they'd go home. And if they were, they would be executed. Okay. These are individuals. These are individual people, exactly, okay. right? So it took a little while for them to get up ahead of steam. But yeah, the reign of terror is uh, the what... Robespierre is probably best known for. So anytime you have somebody who's an architect of anything that is in retrospect referred to as the reign of terror. Do you think it was not referred to as the reign of terror while it was happening? No, actually, I was about to qualify it because Robespierre himself referred to it. As the reign of awesomeness. (laughs) Here's the thing. Like representative government was pretty much a brand new entity and no one had really figured out how to sort of like you know, how to make it last long because there'd never been one that lasted long before. Right. And so there was all sorts of philosophies floating out there, much like, you know, again, like a hundred years later, communism started to get a groundswell because people thought this might be a better way to structure society and, you know, bring out the uh, the best in humanity and all the rest of that stuff. And uh, Robespierre was, you know, 
through his writings and his speeches, whatever, it was relatively clear that he was a really intelligent person. Uh huh. But he had, I think, some flaws of logic. Oh, right. And a politician decided some decided flaws of logic because he decided that, and we've got some really choice quotes that I'll get into in a little bit. But basically, that it was better that you know a couple of innocent heads roll than threaten this status the status of the state naturally hmm. and that uh you know if uh if terror need be involved to keep people in line Ooh. then so be it the reign of terror's duration was basically from september 1793 to july 1794 so relatively short less than a year okay and really in earnest in earnest it really was only three months oh it was may june and july of 1794 is when it really was kicked up a notch how did it start? Well, it started with this Committee for Public Safety. Okay. The Committee for Public Safety took its final form in the sixth, on the 6th of September, 1793, and was ultimately dominated by Maximilien Robespierre in order to suppress internal counter-revolutionary activities. That was a mandate, right? And uh, through the Revolutionary Tribunal, the, the Reign of Terror's leaders exercised broad dictatorial powers and used them to instigate mass executions and political perjures. This repression accelerated in June and July of 1794, and this was the period under the reign of terror called La Grande Terror. Oh, the big terror. The great terror. <laughs> Before we get into the details of the actual, you know, reign. The terror. Yeah, yeah the terror. I, I, I found an article that was written by a guy named John Kikas, K-E-K-E-S. And the title of his, he wrote it in a, uh, he published in a, in a document or a, he published in a, in a publication called The City Journal. And the title of the paper is Why Robespierre Chose Terror, Lessons of the First Totalitarian Revolution. Mm. Basically what this guy's theory is, and you can sort of like see it through inference and whatever, even if you like, you know, just read um, the stuff that's out there like on Wikipedia or in, in sort of any like historical treatises. It kind of becomes apparent that, um, that, that Robespierre was really set the blueprint for modern dictators everywhere. Oh, like, he was the... Uh... He's the architect of the Reign of Terror, and he, pretty much the playbook that he drew up during the French Revolution is what, like, every totalitarian dictator for the last 225 years has has pretty much... Robespierre's right. book of handy <laughs> dictator notes. Yeah, exactly. He's patient zero for dictatorships? Yeah, no, he's, uh, he, he's definitely <clears throat> put his stamp on sort of modern history, right? Right. It's like, uh, you know, I mean, you, you talk about, you know, the fathers of rock and roll and you talk about, you know, the, uh, you know, the uh, in, in the American Revolution, they have the um, founding fathers yeah. and all the rest of this stuff. And I, I think I'm, I'm going to put the stamp on Robespierre right now. He's kind of the father of dictators. OK. Because okay. um, nobody really knew how to structure these kinds of governments as of yet. I mean, they were just so brand new. And so he sort of like took the ball and ran with it for a football reference, right? And uh, he ran it into an end zone of sharp, stabby, guillotine things. Nice. And chopped those balls in half. Whoa. Yeah. <clears throat> so th this paper actually, I, I think, really encapsulates what I found most objectionable about Robespierre in that he, instead of taking the power granted to him by representative government and representing the people, he used it to kind of hold the people under his thumb. Sure. Right? Through, you know, any means necessary. Right. And for their own good. Like, that's what he claimed. Yeah, exactly. Like, in that sort of, in the fatherly kind of tone. Like, very... 
patronizing. He's right? kind of a kind of a Vulcan from Star Trek. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, and if that means a few of you need your heads cut off, so be it. In in this paper, one of the He's opening a bad paragraphs. Vulcan. <laughs> Evil. <laughs> Vulcans, Vulcans deny you're good and evil. Yeah, you know, he's actually, in all the pictures, he's got those big powdered wigs. You can't see the tops of his ears. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, no. Not a bad idea. I think there's a time-traveling Star Trek episode in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, so in one of the opening paragraphs of this paper, is I think it sums it up best, what uh, sort of how I feel about Robespierre and what the the hypothesis of this paper is. Leading the betrayal of the revolution's initial ideals and its transformation into a murderous ideological tyranny was Maximilien Robespierre, a monster who set up a system expressly aimed at killing thousands of innocents. He knew exactly what he was doing, he meant to do it, and believed he was right to do it. He is the prototype of a particularly odious kind of evildoer, the ideologue who believes that reason and morality are on the side of his butcheries. Lenin, Stalin, Hitler, Mao, and Pol Pot are of the same mold. They are the characteristic scourges of humanity in modern times, but Robespierre has a good claim to being the first. Oh. So this is for real trendsetter. I love the uh, the title that uh, I don't know who this guy is. Louis Sebastian Mercier mm-hmm. called him a sanguinocrat, and sanguine means bloody. Yes, yeah. <laughs> so he was he's basically a blood politician. It's it's one of those things because you actually when you read uh, one of the early twentieth century accounts of the French Revolution in the Encyclopedia Britannica, they definitely watered down a lot of the stuff that they wrote about Robespierre and the reign of terror. And uh, it they almost kind of say that Robespierre was kind of misunderstood in his time. Right? Oh, sure. And, uh, and so it's funny because, nice you know, you've got... Uh, um, you got the position that, like, sort of historical distance and revolutionary rhetoric shouldn't be allowed to obscure the savagery of the reign of terror, right? Mm. Uh, uh, Stanley Loomis writes in Paris in the Terror that in the September massacres of 1792, uh, they, uh, they, they executed uh, one of the royalty, and she was the Princess de Lombay, so she was, you know, obviously related in some way, shape, or form to the royal family. When the princess refused to swear her hatred of the king and queen, she was duly handed over to a mob, dispatched with a pike thrust, her still-beating heart ripped from her body and devoured, her legs and arms were severed from her body and shot through with cannon. Devoured. The, the horrors that were then perpetrated on her disemboweled torso are indescribable. Oh, too bad. So... <laughs> <laughs> I'll just leave that dangling oh, then, I guess. That's terrible. One of the things that Robespierre had that kept him that, that that launched him to the top was he was a fantastic orator mm-hmm. right so he the there were lots of atrocities being committed by the mob right right and we have to remember a lot of these public executions too had crowds of 5 10 15,000 people coming and cheering them on sure. and like throwing stones and rotten fruit and yep. rotten vegetables at them and stuff like classic. that classic and so there was kind of this mob mentality that Robespierre like piped into and a lot of his political opponents were fain to to step up against him for fear that he would denounce them and then they could be like dragged from their home and you know, done horrible things to, right? So in 1793, Robespierre appointed commissioners to enforce his interpretation of the revolution outside of the capital. So this is kind of like what we know of of the French Revolution, the Reign of Terror, is generally what happened within Paris, where you had, you know, uh, dozens and dozens of people like lined up for the guillotine just being summarily executed day after day after day continuously. Like it was a... a, uh, It was a bit of a cue. Yeah, well, the, the thing that guillotine did 
for the French Revolution that hadn't been available like in any uh, pre-modern era was that it kind of mechanized execution, right? Okay. Like if you had to have a guy with an axe standing there and chopping off He's every head. He's going to get tired. I mean, you, you, need to, you need to have a line of executioners to like take a break. <laughs> I mean, those axes are not light, right? And then if you like, if you want to hang somebody, right, you got to like walk them up the thing, put them on the gallows, right. drop them through a thing, take their body off. Like It was a very labor-intensive procedure, right? All that rope tying, you got to have skills. Yeah, to, to, yeah, to actually even just uh, retie the knot every time so it gives that, that neck the good old yank the chain sure it's one of those things that the guillotine i mean i and i don't know if you've actually ever seen this i've seen some of it and there might be some available on the internet but they've got like really early film examples of them doing a number of executions at a time in oh really in france in the late 19th century and uh when you're early in film process and they'll they'll show them that they would save up their executions and just do them all at once, and right. you'll you'll have a, a short lineup, not obviously as long as it was during the revolution, but a short lineup, and they would just lay them down, chop their head off, and the head would fall in a basket, and they would literally push them off the thing into a coffin, and somebody would dump the basket, and the next guy was in. Chunk, 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 chunk. I mean, like they were, they could literally perform you know, an execution in less than five minutes kind of thing, right. right? It's it's almost what made the Reign of Terror possible. But the part that is lesser known, actually, is that the Reign of Terror didn't just take place in Paris. There were small tribunals that were kind of deputized by the Committee for Public Safety right. to do purges in the countryside as well. And they didn't always have access to the neat and tidy execution techniques like Uh-oh. guillotines. In the city of Lyon... Uh, Where's that? In France. Okay. Lyon, France. Uh, Simon Schama in Citizens wrote that the guillotine began its work, but was found to be a messy and inconvenient way of disposing of political garbage. Oh, uh, burn. So as uh, as many as 60 prisoners were tied in a line by ropes and shot at with cannon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that you would line up like 60 guys in a row and put a cannon at one end of it and then just shoot through all of their bodies wow. as a more I wonder how many you could get. Well, I'm guessing if they would go up to 60, that's probably where they drew the line. They're like, yeah, 60, that's how much we can get. That's Imagine crazy. being 59 or 60. Yeah. Ow. Like, you're, hoping, <laughs> you're hoping that the guy, like two guys inside of you is really fat, right? Yeah. Or he has like a, a little uh, cigarette case to help push his blow. <laughs> With a horrible 10-pack-a-day <clears throat> habit, so his cigarette case yeah. covers his entire body. <laughs> the commissioner of the uh, Committee for Public Safety and not supplemented the guillotine with vertical deportations. I beg your pardon? Let's call this a pop quiz. Anybody <laughs> have any idea <laughs> what a vertical deportation <laughs> I, might be? I'm pushing them off tall heights. Uh-huh. uh-huh. That's, a, that's a good guess. It's a good guess. You know, it certainly sounds like it. Uh, I'm going to go back to the cannon, mm-hmm. and <laughs> you put them in the cannon. No, uh, and the giant circus-like. Cannon. This is supposed to be more efficient than the guillotine. Oh shit! So not not more entertaining, more efficient. Vertical deportation. <laughs> oh god, I'm gonna say a big old hole in the ground. Not that far off the mark. Uh, holes were punched in the sides of barges, 
prisoners were put in with their hands and feet tied, and the boats were pushed into the center of the river, and the victims helplessly watched as the water rose above them. Gruesome. Wow. So mass drownings. Wow. Mass drownings. In one Vendean massacre, and I, I'm sure uh, that means that they were in the locality of Vendée. Okay, sure. Uh, every atrocity at the time that the time could imagine was meted out to the defenseless population. Women were routinely raped, children were killed, and many were mutilated. At Connord, 200 old people, along with mothers and children, were forced to kneel in front of a large pit they had dug themselves... So that when they were shot, they could tumble into their own grave. All these and these are all just enemies of the state. These are enemies unquote. of the state. These are counter-revolutionaries. Okay, as and, uh, they were defined by the Committee for Public Safety. And and did the, these all these people all had completely fair trials, right? It's funny you should. Well, if ask you fell into the pit Joe, when you were shot, you were guilty. You weren't a witch. <laughs> <laughs> if you didn't, you were a witch. Well, it's it's funny because they, and I use. You know, I should actually probably amend the word funny because uh, it's not funny, haha. Because when the Committee for Public Safety actually began, they would hold hearings. And because all you need to get, all that you needed to happen to be called before a tribunal right. was to be denounced by somebody. Oh, so, so, so again, your neighbor, you have a dispute with your neighbor over the fence line. Yeah, or anything. And he goes to the. He's uh, a counter revolutionary. Yeah. He's, a, he's a royalist I or whatever. I denounce that guy. And they would have like little trials. They would bring them in and they would call like, the person, the accuser would come in as a witness and they would cross examine. Okay. And the, the, the accused was allowed to have representation. And it was like a court as we generally know it, okay. right? Um, unfortunately, this slowed the process down quite a bit. <laughs> That's inefficient for yeah. rolling. So how did Robespierre react to the slowing down of this this righteous justice? <laughs> the law of the 22nd Prairial, also known as the Loi de la Grande Terreur, or the Law of the... The big, big terror, terror. Yeah. <laughs> uh, was enacted in June of 1794. And this sort of like denotes to that, that like three-month period where... It was the big terror instead of just the reign of terror. Um, <clears throat> the Committee of Public Safety simplified, simplified sure. the judicial process. They own, honed it. <laughs> honed it to a razor-sharp blade. Uh, simplified the judicial process to one of indictment and prosecution. Uh, extended the reach of the Revolutionary Tribunal and limited to the ability of the accused to defend themselves. And broadened the scope of those who might be brought within the purview of revolutionary justice. And the penalty for all offenses under the jurisdiction of the tribunal was death. So they basically, here's the courthouse, go in the courthouse for your trial. Yeah. At the door of the courthouse is a guillotine. As you go in, <laughs> you get sliced in half. Well, basically, what they did is they eliminated like all the trial elements. You right. no longer were allowed representation. Uh, you simply needed an accuser and didn't need a witness. Okay. And you didn't no longer had the right to cross-examine your accusers. So what would basically happen is your accuser would come in with whoever else they brought up, brought along with them, and they would say, we denounce him. He's a counter-revolutionary. Yeah. And they'd go, okay. And then somebody would come up and say, he's not a counter-revolutionary. He's a good guy. And then the tribunal would decide whether he was guilty or not. And there were only two sentences that the tribunal could hand out. They could acquit them. And set them free, right? Or they could find them guilty, and the only sentence was death. Yeah. I actually have my first of many choice Robespierre quotes here. Oh, I'm going to okay. do my funny French accent. Oh, please do. I order. <laughs> the, I love it already. The revolutionary tribunal must be as active as crime itself and conclude every every case within 24 hours. 
so yeah, it, basically, uh, their sort of the, the tribunal schedule for the day was to shepherd the accused in in the morning, and no matter how many of them there might be, their fate was to be settled by no later than two in the afternoon, and by three o'clock, their hair had been cut, their hands bound, and they were in death carts on the way to the scaffold. Why do you need to cut their hair if you're gonna, just going to chop their head off like two hours later? Get in the way and dull the blade, you know. Oh, it's, like, not only that. it's like when you shave your face, your your blade gets dull because of all the hair it's got to cut. If they, ran, if they jumped off the cart and made a run for it, you could spot them in a crowd. You know? Oh, I guess so. Yeah. Unless, of course, that. there were bald people just, you know, naturally. And w- when That it- never happens. <laughs> Well, then you, they They're could be also, executed. They were the first yeah. ones. To, <laughs> they were the first ones to go with the bald. When Robespierre was asked about how he could uh, justify the uh, the limiting of the ability to defend yourself in front of the tribunal, his reaction was one of philosophical was one of a philosophical basis, and it was uh, there is no crime, no murder, no massacre that cannot be justified provided it be committed in the name of an ideal. So basically, he said he's saying the ends justify the means, right? Right, because because the revolution is the greatest thing that has ever happened in human history, Mm -hmm. the French Revolution and the democratization of the population. That all atrocities should therefore be overlooked as long as everybody agrees that it protects right the republic, right. So again, but if you decide to argue that it doesn't, you are a counter revolutionary and must be killed. That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. In fact, when um, when all the foreign powers were sort of amassing on their borders, uh, and they were, uh, Robespierre was asked to comment on uh, on how he was planning on defending the republic against invading forces. He replied, he "Put a pile of heads, of severed heads, in front of the city. Not too far <laughs> off the mark. Uh, be able to climb a wall that high." Ro- Robespierre was cl- claimed to say, "I rejoice." That a river of blood will now divide France from its enemies. There you go. <laughs> no one can cross a river. At its peak, uh, any idea of the uh, of the rate per day of accused that were being executed at its peak? Thirty six. Thirty six persons oh. a day okay. were sent to the guillotine during La Grande Terror. All right, right. Well, that's not so bad. Then what's all the fuss yeah. about? <laughs> Thirty six. That's totally worth protecting a brand new. Unproven. Well, that was the average. Right? I mean, I'm sure there was, you know, there was a couple of like 62, and then there were a couple where, you know, you know, they couldn't find enough counter revolutionaries, and so it dipped down to like 21 or whatever. Yeah, the the bastard on his block who sent all of his neighbors to uh, to the guillotine, like, oh, no, I'm bored. <laughs> yeah, and, and the the funny part about all this, like, all, while all this is going on, and Robespierre has his share of critics. Uh, during the reign, the early part of the reign of terror, and uh, doesn't have very many critics during Le Grand Terror because sure. immediately preceding it, he executed all of his political enemies. Okay. But we'll get to that in a minute. Oh, well. uh, but he he really like felt he, that he was philosophically in the right. Like this is the part that I have the hardest time getting around. Like if he was this power mad, you know, madman who just wanted to. You know, become, that he wanted to become a dictator, that he he sort of had these emperor ambitions like Napoleon who comes after him. Like Napoleon mm-hmm. really made no doubt about, uh, made no bones about the fact that he just wanted, he, he was the best man for the job and you should give the control of the country to him. Mm-hmm. And uh, everybody kind of agreed with him at the time, right? Robespierre was talking about how, in, in, like Joe said He's earlier, doing it all for the good of the country. He's doing all this for the good of the people in the country. He sort of sums it up best in this one. He talks about how laudable the revolution is. The revolution was the finest ever because 
For the first time in history, the art of government is aimed not at deceiving and corrupting man, but at enlightening them and making them better. Mm. The task of the revolution is to establish the felicity of perhaps the, the entire human race. And the French people seem to have outdistanced the rest of the human race by 2,000 years. <laughs> 2,000 years. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's... Uh, we call that pulling it out of your ass math. <laughs> uh, 2,000 years, that's how long it's going to take for the but rest you of you guys to catch up. you listen to this up. rhetoric. You listen to this rhetoric, and then you realize, oh, and then Hitler, like 150 years later, is talking about the 1,000-year Reich, right? Like, yeah. it's just so much of this stuff just harkens to, you know, people that we know in the modern era that, like, you wonder if this, if this sort of, like, is a through line that runs through all megalomaniacs or if they actually kind of read a lot of Robespierre and went... Hey, that guy wasn't too far off the mark. I think I could totally roll with that. Or even not agreeing with him, just seeing how successful he was for quite some time. Hey, I can use these techniques to get the people on my side if I say that I'm doing it for the good of the people. There were lots of criticisms about when he basically uh, reduced the right to defend yourself in these tribunals about how aren't you afraid of sending an innocent man to the gallows? Okay. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> the suspicion of enlightened patriotism might be offer a, a better guise and formal rules of evidence. Uh, commenting on an execution. Oh, wait. That was not his quote. Uh, even if he had been innocent, he had to be condemned. I'm just going into my James Mason for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> French, French is kind of hard French to maintain all the way to the end. Yeah. I'm just going to start with the... <laughs> even if he had been innocent... He had to be condemned if his death could be useful. In a letter advising the Revolutionary Tribunal, he wrote, People are always telling judges to take care of to save the innocent. I tell them to beware of saving the guilty. <laughs> now that, how about that? You gotta, <laughs> how do you love that, right? Beware of saving the guilty. Yeah. Like, it takes our whole innocent until proven guilty premise that we right. like, that our modern court system... And actually doing the exact opposite. That if the innocent must die in order for us to be sure that we got rid of all the guilty, then so (laughs) be it. And if that's not a hallmark of pure effing evil, I don't know what is. Like, I mean, honestly... Because the the whole thing about innocent to proven guilty, it's it's that it's the whole bit about you kind of you can put yourself in that other guy's shoes. And you're like, yeah. imagine if I'm up there defending myself and I'm legitimately innocent. I want all these things to be in place to help me prove my innocence, right? Right. Yeah. And it's like he, he's throwing the baby out with the bathwater. I mean, it, like the complete and utter lack of empathy with the plight of your fellow man. In fact, like well, he went every step of the way to exacerbate it. I'll just play devil's advocate here. He, I don't think he's ignorant of that. I think he thinks that by doing this, he's making the republic better for everybody else. So the damage that he's causing and the liberty he's taking away from you it's and the right the to defend good. yourself yeah. is for the good of the you know millions of other French that are still left. You can't make a republic without breaking a few eggs. But here's the thing. like, Really, before Robespierre... Nobody had ever seen a guy like this in history before, right? Because you really you didn't have people pretending or saying that they represent they're the voice of the people. Because mm-hmm. you had you either had you had military dictators right. or you had hereditary dictators. Yeah. You mm-hmm. you'd always had dictators, right? You didn't you'd never before this guy had somebody like on a pulpit and like really wielding his political power through 
just the mass numbers of people who could rise up on your behalf and right. affect change, right? And it's like, you know, the whole affecting change through democracy, it's kind of an old concept to us now, like, you know, 200 years later. But it was so new then that nobody sort of saw the red flags, right? Like, there was none of this like, hey, wait a minute. That's not what I think at all. Like, <laughs> there's not this group of people going, you know. Uh, We've got your best interests in heart. Yeah, exactly. We might, we might have to kill you. One of the major players in the Jacobin faction, the faction that Robespierre was the head of, mm-hmm. uh, that was one of the very inflammatory authors early on in the revolution who sort of kind of focused, he helped focus the, the, like, the ire, and he was very good at, um, at, at publications that would, that would raise the ire of the mob and, and get them to you know, declare people enemies of the state and all the rest of that stuff. And so he's a, he was a... Uh, like sort of one of Robespierre's lieutenants, a guy named Jean-Paul Marat. Marat? Yeah, and he's kind of he's kind of a, a quirky character in history because he actually had a debilitating skin condition that forced him to to lay in like medicated baths like twenty hours out of the day. Ooh. So yeah, he had this this degenerative skin disease. So he's like the captain of the Golga Frenchian space arc from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Uh, Always I in a bathtub. Don't one hundred percent get that reference, but I'm sure it's appropriate. <laughs> I'm sure the really really awesome fans will get it. Yeah, it's uh, so yeah. So he's kind of this like weirdo character because he wrote all these like you know denouncing enemies of the state and like these really inflammatory uh, letters and you know he was this he always called for you know. Um, uh, like uprisings and mass executions and all the rest of this stuff. And, From uh, a salty bath. He, he actually wrote one time, if you do not strike now, millions of your brothers will die. Your enemies will triumph and your blood will flood the streets. They will slit your throats without mercy and disembowel your wives and their bloody hands will rip out your children's entrails and erase our love of liberty forever. In support of the of the uh, revolution, right? Yeah, yeah. So that was the kind of author that he was, and that's sort of the rhetoric that sure. he kind of put out there. And so, with you had Robespierre the orator and this guy the writer, and they were kind of a good team, right? But uh, uh, at the execution of of King Louis, Robespierre quite famously said he executed one man to save a hundred thousand. Right? Oh, okay. So one day, Marat was in the bathtub, and uh, he was uh, he was writing a letter to somebody. I'm sure it was very hateful. And uh, inflammatory. He wasn't known for writing love letters. Love letters. Uh, well, you know, maybe, but maybe they were they were hate love letters. Love hate letters. I don't want to think what that bathtub's full of. Uh, and a, uh, a Girondin, which was uh, the chief political rivals of the Jacobins, a Girondin sympathizer showed up named Charlotte Corday at Marat's house, and she gained entrance because she was uh, she uh, claimed that she had a list of people that they needed Marat to denounce so that they could have them executed. Okay. So uh, she uh, she came in and handed him the list and... Uh, and dropped a bath bomb? <laughs> uh, and yeah, like stabbed him with like a six-inch long kitchen knife. Uh, stabbed him repeatedly. and uh, Right in the skin, where he was sensitive. <laughs> Corday later claimed that when, he ga- when she gave him the list, he told her, their heads will fall within a fortnight. When uh, Corday stabbed him with a five-inch kitchen knife, which she had bought earlier that day, and which was sort of one of the chief pieces of evidence at her trial, brought it down hard into his chest where it pierced just under his right clavicle, opening the carotid artery close to the heart. The massive bleeding was fatal within seconds. Slumping backwards, Marat cried out his last words, Aidez-moi, ma chère. 
Aidez-moi. Help me, my dear friend. Oh, that was literally a bloodbath. (laughs) The only reason I bring this up is because Charlotte Corday was eventually guillotined for the crime. And this is a callback to our decapitation episode. Okay. I love callbacks. uh, We told a story about a woman during the French Revolution who uh, had been executed. And the, the executioner had took her head out of the bucket and slapped her in the face. Uh, in fact, that man was a man named Lego, and he lifted her head from the basket and slapped her on the cheek. And witnesses later reported an expression of unequivocal indignation on her face after her cheek was slapped. Uh, however, the slap was considered unacceptable by the authorities, and Legros <laughs> was imprisoned for three months because of his oh, impassioned outburst. A, a decapitated head. Wait a minute. So, cutting off the head's perfectly fine. Cutting off the head. Yep, good. She deserves that. But don't slap her face. <laughs> slap her face. That's going too far. Three months in jail. There is decorum, Joe. There is decorum. <laughs> Did with they, your mass executions, was the and guillotine plus, actually, nicely this, scented? This wasn't this wasn't one of those mass executions. This was like a, an execution as, 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 due to the assassination of a major political right. figure. So there was pomp and circumstance. Actually, you're thinking that she would they would she would have deserved a couple extra slaps for that one. Yeah, yeah, like like French with the glove, right? <laughs> I demand satisfaction. I demand oh, you're a satisfaction. Guy. Yeah, no, it is kind of strange to take take umbrage with. The slapping of the cheek, but, you know, taking of the head. The order of business. Heads aren't cheeks. I got uh, one more Robespierre coat, which I thought was a doozy. A real dandy. Don't you mean le douze? Le I'm going to do this one last time for the funny French accent. Hopefully I can maintain it all the way from getting to end. Don't slide into German like I did. The government in a revolution is the despotism of liberty against tyranny. Now, if that is not 1984 level doublespeak, I don't know what is. And this guy is effing awesome in his ridiculous geniusness. Like, because you guarantee all the people who are listening to him say that, they go, what? It's a bunch and then of they just words. Like, yeah, and then he, he starts doing that whole Hitler, like, pounding the podium. Yeah. And then people just get into like, oh, I'm so wound up. The adrenaline he's whipping is rushing, us into like, a fervor. Despotism of liberty. I yeah. don't know what he's talking about, but I agree. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean... It's evil genius. It really is. It's evil genius at its... Because he's really the first person we ever saw kind of employ this propaganda machine, this doublespeak, this, you know, confusion, just like creating confusion and maintaining confusion to create a power vacuum for yourself, right? Like it's... I don't know if he intended the consequences of all these actions, what they were. I don't know if he got there by accident or if this was all part of the grand scheme. But it is, it's evil genius, yeah. right? It's like the Ramones, the granddaddy's punk, right? Nobody had ever really done it like them before. <laughs> and there were a million bands after them who like, you know, had greater success on a number of different levels. But like the fact that somebody innovated it to right. begin with, it was really... Really genius. Now, on the flip side of that, he's got some not-so-genius moments as well. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, you know, we like to talk about sort of kooky schemes. I love kooky schemes. schemes. That's why I watch the Flintstones. He, he always thought that under a republic, you kind of need to get the church out of the equation. Uh-huh. Because they sort of like pull a lot of strings. They had a lot of political power. I mean, the Pope could tell kings and queens what to do. Otherwise, mm. he could threaten them with excommunication. So... 
you know, <clears throat> you don't want to get God mad at you. So again, it's the whole separation of church and state thing, right? And you're like, okay, this is a really smart thing, whatever. But unlike the American model, which was just separate church and state, yeah. uh, he actually wanted a state-sponsored church. Oh, what does that mean? He called it his Republic of Virtue. There were there were two sort of state religions that were being proposed. His political opponents, the Girondins, uh, wanted the cult of reason, and he wanted the cult of the supreme being. Oh. Right? I'm generally against cults, period. Yeah. Even yeah. cults of reason. Well, they, they, he thought it was a step forward because it was a state-sponsored religion, and you'd take the Pope out of the equation. Okay. Right? So there wouldn't be any... Depopify it, if you will. De- depopify the church, right? Okay. So that you wouldn't have some foreign power pulling strings, you know, in the way you rule the people under your bailiwick, right? They changed the calendar as a result as well. Oh. Yeah. Oh. So, yeah. I mean, they really were like... They made it uh, January, February, Robespierre. (laughs) (laughs) No, it was was a... uh, uh, There were 12 months, but every month had exactly 30 days, and the weeks were uh, 10-day weeks. I was just thinking about this in the shower like a week ago. Well, we should totally do that. Convert the calendar to the metric system. <laughs> there's unfortunately there's the whole universe thing about rotations around the sun, yeah. and daylight, and nighttime. We're talking about bother me with trivialities. How do, how do you metricize 365.25 days? I'll leave that up to the mathematician. <laughs> well, Robespierre was kind of just on, an idea guy. Yeah, yeah, you're a big picture guy, right? So Robespierre was kind of on uh, on side of the 12 30 day months. With 10-day weeks. Okay. They started this uh, this new calendar on September the 22nd, 1792, uh, and uh, and the calendar remained in practice for nine years. Really? Yeah. So from 1792 to 1801, France operated on an entirely different calendar than everybody else. I mean, I guess there's sort of like precedent for that. Like there was that Gregorian calendar mm-hmm. and like, you know, the, the Orthodox calendar in Russia. Like they were like in the year, you know, like five years ago, they were only in like year 1100 or some <laughs> shit. Right. Like, so, you know, there are precedents yeah. to be said about different calendars. But yeah, like this uh, completely and utterly manufactured Republican calendar was enforced in France for like nine years. Which is, again, it's just kind of a symptom of these wacky schemes, right, to, to basically set this new society apart from all these traditions that had held it before. The first and only festival of the Supreme Being. Oh, yeah! On the 8th of June, 1794. <laughs> Did everyone have giant heads? <laughs> like Mardi Gras? Every locality in France was mandated to hold a commemorative event... But the premier event in Paris was designed on a massive scale. The festival was organized by the artist Jacques-Louis David and took place around a man-made mountain on the Champ de Mars. A man-made, what is it, made of heads and bodies? They have a picture of it. (laughs) They had to put everybody who's guillotined somewhere. They have a painting of the man-made mountain. And to say, call it a mountain, again, is a little bit complimentary to it. It's more like a little hill. like a foothill. Robespierre assumed full leadership of the event and to many ostentatiously declared the truth and social utility of this new religion. Here, I'll, I'll show you the picture that I have of the man-made mountain at the Festival of the Supreme Being. Oh, my God. It's huge. <laughs> it's, it's like three people high. It's more like a dais. It's more like a man-made dais. 
with like a tree at the top of it. Yeah, and I think I guess he Roman spear just More got, like a nipple. Yeah, he got, got, got up the on the top of the mountain and kind of spoke all day. Yeah, I think is really what the festival of the supreme being turned it's out to like be. More like a stage. Yeah, <laughs> less of a mountain, more like a stage. <laughs> I, you know what? I, I, he certainly claimed not to be, but when you sort of the fact that he was the the author of it, and then the festival of the supreme being, he just stood on a little hill and uh, talked all day. It, it, it sort of denotes maybe that he was kind of trying to like create a mental association between the two things. Did Paris not have? Does Paris not have hills? Doesn't appear to. Yeah. This image has, it's flat, except for this one little yeah. nipple, as you call it. Paris is pretty flat. I've been to Paris. It's a, not, there's no, there's no uh, Burnaby Mountain in the middle of Paris, All right. by any stretch of the imagination. So <clears throat> now we're coming, so now we're June I'd be interested 8th. to know about what the, uh, I just have this weird, you know, Monty Python-esque vision of the festival of supreme being and all these weird things happening that are, you know, kind of in the in the name of the new religion and all this kind of stuff. Oh, like, I'm sure they'd been and given... probably splintering instantly, like the yeah. People's Judean Front <laughs> and the Judean People's Front. They're all wearing different hats. <laughs> totally. Like, if, if, if Robespierre had stayed in power for years as opposed to months, he... Uh, it probably would have devolved into something real kooky and secty and, you know, because it would have forced it on everybody for, yeah. you know, as long as he was in power and you would have had like spin-off factions and whatever. I'm sure it would have gotten real crazy. But the fact that this was one of the pillars to his being brought down was this half-baked called the Supreme Being. And because I don't know how many French people you guys know, but they're kind of attached to the Catholic Church. Oh, Yeah. They're pretty Catholic, pretty Catholic through and through. Mm. Kind of pride themselves being rock solid Catholics. So, in spite of the, you know, that, that's almost the bigger insult, right? Shows you a, kind of an insight into the mob rule at the time that people were kind of ready to go along with 36 executions a day, denouncements with no possibility of defense, you know, mass executions by cannon out in the countryside. Eh, we could shrug all that stuff off. Our enemies will not be able to cross the rivers of blood that divide them from France, right? <laughs> all this stuff. Oh, hey, the despotism of, of liberty. liberty, right? You know, we're like, oh, we could shrug that off. It's like, oh, you know what? I'm going to ban the Catholic Church. Off with his head! Is that what happened? What happened to Robespierre <laughs> is actually is actually referred to. They have a name for it. Oh, you love it when when a, like the downfall of a dictator actually has a name. It's called the Thermidorian reaction. Whoa, it sounds like something I would get in the physics class. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like an explosion or something, doesn't it? it? Sounds like we dropped the bomb and the Thermidorian reaction totally brought that guy down. We crushed that country. Thermidor was actually one of the months in that new calendar. Yeah, it was the month of July. <laughs> well, July is a sucky name for a month anyway. <laughs> yeah, Thermidor is so much better. On the 27th of July, 1794... Robespierre and many of his compatriots, his radical revolutionary friends, came under a concerted attack. Who uh, could possibly stand against Robespierre and his rhetoric? Well, he was standing in the Hall of Liberty in Paris. Uh, <laughs> right next to the Hall of Justice with a super friend. <laughs> you know what the funny part is? His, his like, sort of right-hand man at the time was a guy named Saint-Just. Oh, there you go. Like Saint-Just. Yeah. So it's like yeah. Saint-Just is the guy's last name. Yeah, so Saint-Just was actually standing up in the Hall of Liberty and giving a speech, and he was shouted down by uh, their political opponents. 
And when uh, when Robespierre got up to defend Saint Just and plead the assembled body to allow him to finish his speech, cries went up of "Down with the tyrant!" and arrest Robespierre. Uh, Backfired. Robespierre made his appeal to the deputies, saying, Deputies of the right, men of honor, men of virtue, give me the floor, since these assassins will not. Little foreshadowing. It's ironic that Robespierre called it on himself. Yeah. So... It was obviously becoming a little bit hot in the uh, in the assembly, <laughs> so they actually fled Everyone the building. Everyone was taking their clothes off. Yeah, well, not. I, I was thinking more like a hot zone sort of. Uh, not. It's getting hot in here, so take off all your clothes. But uh, yeah, people are getting a little hot under the collar. So Robespierre and his supporters gathered at the Hotel Hotel de Ville in the center of Paris, and uh, the National Convention declared them all to be outlaws. Oh. Uh, meaning that upon verification as fugitives, they could be executed within 24 hours without trial due to Robespierre's <laughs> own <certain> law. <laughs> this is this is totally like oh, the come up and... <laughs> Like It's so awesome that he gets taken down by his own law. Uh, <clears throat> so as the night went on, the commune forces of the Hotel de Ville deserted. Uh, so these are the forces that Robespierre brought with him. He had his own little okay. private bodyguard and army. Right. But they slowly but surely deserted until no guards uh, remained. I think I hear my mom calling. <laughs> it's like, uh, dude, I got to go use the outhouse. I was and like just stove. Never came back. It's like, I think I left my wife on. Yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> and they, they slowly but surely dribbed and drowned away. I think all these guys sort of saw the writing on the wall. So the National Convention troops under Barras approached the hotel around 2 a.m. on the 28th of July. And uh, as they came, Robespierre's brother, Augustin, leapt out of a window in an attempt to escape and broke both his legs and was subsequently arrested with two broken legs. You're under arrest for having two broken legs. Yeah. Well, he was arrested for conspiracy to, like, overthrow the revolutionary state. But uh, uh, one of the other uh, uh, compatriots of Robespierre, a guy named Labat, committed suicide. Couthon was found paralyzed from the waist down, lying at the bottom of a staircase. And uh, this nobody really knows what exactly happened. Nobody came out in the official record. steal a spine? Well, they, I think they probably threw him down the stairs and okay. uh, crippled him. They probably, in apprehension, it was right. one of those, uh, oh, dude, uh, look the other way. Or he was running, I swear. You know, he had okay. a gun. He was going for his piece, sure. right? You know, one of those moments. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> whereas Robespierre himself... Ended up shot in the face, which smashed his jaw into several pieces. Oh. So there's, there's shot by whom? There's conflicting reports. Uh, the the troops that stormed the Hotel de Ville claim that he shot himself in an attempt to commit suicide, uh, but there are other witness accounts that claim that he was shot by the guards themselves okay. as they approached him. So they were all declared outlaws and condemned without judicial process. And the same day, on the 20th of July, he was executed with 21 of his closest associates. Executed by guillotine? By guillotine. There are some reports, although there's no official verification of this, but some people claimed that of the 22 people executed that day, he was the only one forced to face the guillotine facing upwards. I was going to say, he was the only one who didn't have a witty remark right before he got killed because his <laughs> well, jaw was all fucked up. Actually, <laughs> what I've read is that uh, the executioner, t- he had a bandage holding his shattered jaw in place, and the executioner tore the bandage off. And uh, he started screaming, and the only thing that stopped his screaming was the blade falling yeah. down and cutting his head off. Yeah, so it was, it's definitely a uh, hoisted-on-your-own-petard moment. Yeah. Basically, I just want to point out that upon Robespierre's death, pretty much the reign of terror stopped. 
like the next day. Like it wasn't like this gradual (laughs) thing. It's like Rose Pierre was executed. And then and they ev- put the guillotine away. They put they, they like they put the cozy back over the top <laughs> yeah, of it. The tea cozy on the guillotine, right? Yeah, it, it just basically stopped right then and there. And the reign of the Standing Committee of Public Safety was ended. Like basically, they kept reappointing themselves, and it was all Robespierre and his buddies, and they just kind of oh, like. Okay. So the, the very next day, all new members were appointed, and term limits were imposed. A quarter of the committee was forced to retire every three months, and its powers were slowly reduced piece by piece. So they they pretty much took the fangs out of the Committee for Public Safety. All the sort of uh, trials went back to courts. Uh, The ruling of the land went back to the hands of the National Committee. And, like, basically, uh, all the powers devolved to the place they should have been in the first place. Okay. And so it's... it's A valuable lesson was learned. It's hard to argue that Robespierre wasn't this... You know, brutal, dick bloodthirsty, face. dick face dictator. <laughs> because as soon as he was executed, it all stopped. The 17. movie ends with the sun coming up over <laughs> a brand new France.
In the news. In the news. So there's a good article in the Vancouver Sun, actually, about the Norway shooter Anders Breivik, who, uh, if anybody is not aware of this, they maybe they heard about... The Norwegian mass it. murderer? Yeah. Some people are claiming, you know, he's probably a psychopath, but others, this article at least, is arguing that he's kind of rationalized his way into it, that his... He wrote a 1,500-page manifesto yeah, that he posted online right we've before going about, out. We've talked about how hard it is, uh, how difficult it is to find somebody that's crazy enough to want to kill a whole bunch of people, but not so crazy that, you know, they're incapable of pulling it off, like that they wouldn't right. just show up wearing diapers and throw poop at people <laughs> instead of actually, you know, plant explosive charges and set off and set off a distraction with the explosion so that you can then go to this island and kill all these kids, right? right? And so this person's arguing that, uh, he says, there's not much mental illness to be found among, among legendary fanatics like Torquemada, Robespierre, and Lenin. They knew precisely what they did, and they were explicit about the need to overcome basic human compassion to do it. And and the and their conviction that they're ultimately right. 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 Pop culture. Danton, who we didn't mention but was a contemporary of Robespierre's, and Robespierre are both featured in the book The Scarlet Pimpernel as they uh, applaud a guard for his work in catching aristocrats. The aristocrats. <laughs> There's a, uh, a novel by Victor Hugo, Quatre Vingt which means 93, which, of course, is referring to 1793, the year of the Reign of Terror. And Robespierre is featured in the Three Gods scene along with Danton and Marat. So Danton, Marat, and Robespierre obviously think of themselves as gods, and that's why right. they end up in that section. Now, he's also in, uh, there's a Sandman comic called Thermidor, which again, as we learn now, is yeah. the name of one of the new months that Probably they Probably when you read it the first time, didn't really get a Thermidor. I don't. Yeah, I don't remember it being mentioned as that. I mean, maybe they did, and I just forgot. Or you saw it yourself and went, oh, he must be a big fan of those really expensive fridges. Right. So he's actually the antagonist in that. Uh, it features uh, an ancestor of John Constantine, Lady Johanna Constantine, uh, working for the Sandman and uh, pulling off a, uh, I won't spoil anything, but pulling off a theft and escape sort of type thing for uh -huh. them. And Robespierre is the one chasing her with his guards. Well, that makes perfect sense. Seems like the kind of thing he would do. Yep. <laughs> I know you're a big fan of Neil Gaiman and the Sandman. So oh, yeah. what did you think of this particular story? Really good. Yeah. And it's uh, it's pretty pivotal in the whole storyline of the actual character itself. Okay. So just one issue, but really good. Yeah. All right. That's a good time. Well, so there, there's a uh, thumbs up for Robespierre-related piece of pop culture. In the Mary Melodies cartoon, Booby Hatched, in which it's a very cold winter, and a duck is trying to get her eggs, keep them warm and get them to hatch. Uh -huh. She finally hatches the eggs. They all go out, leaving one egg left in the uh, in the nest. And uh, only his little legs pop out of the bottom. Okay. And he starts... I think I remember that. He now. starts running around looking for his mom and looking for warm places. And so he finds a bear and... All these other things. Uh, yeah, no, I've seen fur. this. I've seen that for sure. And she goes around. She re eventually realizes that she's missing a chick. Okay. So she runs around all over the land. All over shouting, Hell's Acres. All shouting, Robes Pierre! Robes Pierre! She, so the that chick was is the named... chick's name. The chick's name was Robes Pierre. Oh, okay. That's, how, that's where I first heard the name. I'm trying to, maybe because it's just legs and no head? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs>